Well, welcome, friends, to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. This one's going to be good for you. It's gonna you're gonna learn some things. I know you're gonna enjoy it, and uh, we might even have some fun baseball banter. We'll see. Uh, today's guest is a evangelist for the spiritual disciplines and a pastor. I can't wait to hear all about how we got into that because it's one of the big events in my life too. So. Um, please welcome to the show, Jason Pfeffer. Jason, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm so glad to just make the acquaintance and hear a lot more about your story and kind of where God has you, what you're up to. So thanks for, for coming on the show. Tell us a little bit, I gave that very broad general introduction. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, I've, I grew up in a Christian household for the most part. Uh, parents were divorced when I was really young, but grew up in a Catholic church on my mom's side. When I was eight years old, my dad accepted Christ and um, put my sister and I on his knees and shared the gospel and had us pray. So from a very early age, that was, that I say, I think I was eight years old at that time. And so from a very early age, I was in the church, um, believing in God, uh, believing in Jesus, but it was, for most of my life, felt like, yeah, this is the thing that you do, right? We, yeah. would, we, we go to Mass on Sunday morning. We uh, go to church with my dad when, uh, when I'd be staying with him. And, and yeah, and like I was 13 years old, my dad bought me a Bible. And yeah, you should read your Bible every night. Okay, great. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it wasn't until my senior year in high school that uh, I... I started going to church consistently with my dad, and it was at that church where I got into Christian community, and I started to realize that my relationship with Jesus wasn't just a part of my life, but it was actually supposed to be the centerpiece of my life, that everything would flow out of that relationship. And it's interesting that I, as I started to shift my understanding of what it means to be a Christian— and started to see how is my relationship with Jesus impacting everything in my life. Uh, I had a friend who was one of my best friends throughout high school. And one day we were sitting uh, on the steps outside of the gym after school. And he, he looked to me and he goes, you seen a shrink? It's like totally out of the blue. Wow. I'm like, I'm like, uh, and at the time I had no idea what was going on. Like I, I no, no, of course <laughs> I'm not. And, uh, and I realized after the fact that he had seen such a significant change in my life that he had no, no real context. He wasn't a Christian, so he had no context for why that change would have happened other than I must have been seeking some kind of professional help. And, uh, and so years, years later, I look back on that and go, man, that's really interesting that this shift in how I understand being a Christian and what it means to actually follow Jesus, that it's not just uh, one piece of my life, but it, my whole life is centered on my relationship with Jesus, that everything flows from being a disciple of Jesus, that that would have such a deep, deeply meaningful impact on my everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because when you go through that as a kid, you don't, you don't understand it, right? Like it's, yeah. it just seems like what, what is, but it really is unique. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it, and it's one of those things that as I've, as I've continued to grow and you have these moments that, that in sometimes in the moment, it feels like that's the thing, right? Like it's, Oh, now I've got it. That's the one. And it feels very final, right? Like, okay, now I yeah. get it. Now I finally get it. And then you continue to engage in the just the work that God is doing in you, and you go, oh! And then then there's the day I'm sitting on my back porch uh, of my apartment, and I'm reading the Spirit of the Disciplines. Oh yes. And I go, yeah. And I go, see, I'm I'm weird. Like most people have a very like, there's a consistent story of people reading uh, the Divine Conspiracy. Yes. And that's like the place that opens them up. I like to be just a little bit different than everybody else. So for me, it was spirit of the disciplines, but I, I'm on my back porch and I read the, the, the kingdom of heaven is, is now. Yes. And I, and, and I almost literally almost fell off of my chair because I went, wait a second. 
And, and the gears start turning because, you know, I've, because I've been following Jesus for a long time and I've been reading the Bible and all of a sudden, all of these scripture verses that I don't even know that I didn't really understand what they meant, it, it felt like they were just kind of falling into place where I was like, oh, that's what Jesus, oh, that's what he meant. That's what he means. And all of these things that I thought I yes. understood made sense. Well, give us, give us one example. One example of what? Oh, of uh, so, something that you didn't understand before, but then after yeah. reading uh, Dallas Willard, you you realized you that it made sense. Yeah. Well, when Jesus says that the kingdom of presence, uh, the the kingdom of presence, that'd be an that'd be an interesting kingdom. I don't know. That, that'd be a the, good book <laughs> if, if you haven't written one. That's I think you should write that. <laughs> it's like a Christmas series or something. I don't know. Um, when, when Jesus says. When Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is yeah. within you, that I don't know how you can understand that if you think the kingdom of heaven is just a, um, a synonym for heaven and heaven is a place where you go when you die, right? How do you understand right. the kingdom of heaven is within me or the kingdom of heaven is at hand if heaven is strictly a place where we go when we die? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus talks about the kingdom in this very like imminent way, right? It's right Mm -hmm. here. It's now here I am. It's, this is it. And we tend to not talk like that, at least American evangelicals. I'm trying to just to be real clear like that. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus's main point of teaching. And, and the main thing he's teaching is it's here. Right. Like his ministry is a demonstration both in his teaching and in his actions that the kingdom of heaven is actually arriving and breaking into this world right here and right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So I love that you brought up the spirit of the disciplines because that was one of the books that changed my life as well. Mm-hmm. So I, um, cause I'm, I like the divine conspiracy. I kind of waded through it, but that's a lot more heady. Like I just, yeah. it's, it's okay. It's good. It's yeah. awesome. Oh man. It's amazing. But it takes a lot longer to chew on. Um, And I discovered this. uh, I told this story back. I did an episode with a teacher who made me do the project that I started studying spiritual disciplines. And this was one of the books that, you know, when I realized that he's got that little epilogue in the end um, that was an article in Christianity Today called His Discipleship for Super Christians Only. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yep. That was for me like, oh, so I had been on this kind of search for a disciple. Like, what does it mean to be a disciple? And then I realized, I am a disciple. Oh, this is amazing, right? Okay. That kind of opened up my mind and sent me in a whole new direction. Well, and that's, we have completely lost in the Western church the idea that the invitation is to be a disciple. Yeah. Right? I mean, that discipleship is one of those things where if you, if you asked a hundred people what discipleship is, you'd, you'd probably get 99 different answers. And usually they're things like, well, it's, it's a class that I go to. I have a friend who says uh, in most churches, discipleship is a three ring binder, right? Or, (laughs) or discipleship (laughs) is, yeah. Or discipleship is, um, well, that's, that's when you disciple a younger believer, when you mentor them and, and hopefully you're being discipled by someone who's been following Jesus longer than you. But we miss the fact that we're actually invited to be disciples. Like I, there was a point in my journey where I wanted to completely eliminate the word discipleship. And yeah. it, 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 it grammatically, you can't do it. Like there's just, <laughs> there's a, I mean, the, the, the grammatical gymnastics that I would go through trying to make that work in sentences, it just doesn't work. But I wanted to say, what if we stopped doing discipleship and started being disciples? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think part of the problem is we've defined spiritual formation or spiritual maturity as mm-hmm. how much you know and how much you do. Mm-hmm. And that's why discipleship gets relegated to a binder that they give you in a class that they're going to mm-hmm. teach you discipleship. You, these are the things you need to know. Well, that's helpful. Yeah. And there's a part of the journey when that's what you need and it will deepen you and it will ground you. But there's also the, a time when that is time to move on, you know, time to, time to move into different kinds of experiences. Yeah. And it's, and I like that you pointed out that knowledge is really important. I think that we can get into some conversations about spiritual formation 
And, and it ends up, I mean, we live in such a binary world, right? Where it's either this or that, um, when the truth is usually both and, right. And, and so a lot of times we can talk about going beyond just the knowledge. And it sounds like we're saying you don't need to know the right things, but that's of course not true. Right. Like that's a very valuable part of our journey is knowing the right thing. So I, I referenced earlier when I was 13 years old, uh, for my birthday, my dad gave me a Bible and I mean, as a 13 year old, that's kind of a terrible birthday. <laughs> I'm sure I smiled and said, thanks dad. And yeah. he probably, you know, saw right through it, but it- he gave it to me and said, read it every day. And, and so, well, he's my dad, I'm supposed to listen. So, okay. So I would go home and I would read a chapter every night and, and then inevitably I would forget to read it in one night. And so I'd feel guilty and one night turn into two or three. And so when I, when I came back, because I felt guilty, I would then read two chapters a night. And then I would forget for a night and one turns into two and three and then I'd come back and because of my guilt, I would read three. Remember, I grew up Catholic, so my guilt would uh, yeah. would lead me to read three. <laughs> and then it's the same thing. Like the pattern continued until I was reading five chapters a night. And the reality was I was just reading because I was supposed to. I was reading for information. I was the um, the Bible trivia king in, oh, wow. uh, in Sunday school. But – it would be really easy to look back on that and say, oh man, like I was only reading for information. I wasn't really connecting with the presence of God and scripture and look kind of disparagingly on that. But there's a foundation in my life in scripture. Like when I, when I read spirit of the disciplines and I, and it opened my eyes, I, if I didn't have that season of reading five chapters a night, I don't know that all of those moments those teachings of Jesus would have been in my head to fall into place and make me like that, that experience probably wouldn't have been as profound and formational if I didn't have that, that time in that stage of faith where I was just reading to be informed. Right. Yeah, totally. And that needs, we we need to have those times. So that's what we talked before about the critical journey in that, yeah. that book, which I think was for me another foundational work that that made me when I finally grasped what that meant that it was okay because I've I've been on that side too of being like oh come on we can't you know knowledge doesn't matter no it's good it's important and I yeah. looking back I can see the times when okay that really grounded me uh, and that's what evangelicals do well and that's it's yeah. a good thing. But uh, yeah. it's not necessarily everything. And I think that's the definition yeah. that is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've, what we've done is we've, we've hung our hats on the idea of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we've turned that into knowing the right stuff. Right. And I, um, I have a friend who's Orthodox and she would, she would teach that the Orthodox understanding and I'm not steeped in Orthodox theology, so hopefully I'm representing this well, but she would teach about the Greek word that's used there for mind is nous. And in Orthodox theology, nous is not not simply knowing the right things or rational thought, but it's a receptive mind. It's having our minds open to receive whatever it is that God would have for us in a given moment. So we're going throughout our day with our hearts tuned to the Holy Spirit so that whatever the Holy Spirit is bringing up through the course of our everyday lives, we're hearing from God and engaging in the presence in our everyday lives. And that's a that's a very different understanding of that passage. It's yeah. not be transformed by knowing the right things. It's be transformed by <laughs> your mind being open to the presence of Christ in your everyday moment. Yeah, that's so good. This is my heartbeat. It's, it's where I want to help people. Um, so I love the idea that we get to just share with our friends here. Hey, the journey is more expansive. This is what um, I think I shared with you before. It's kind of what I've come to is one of my missions in life is to let people know that the journey is deeper and wider and longer than it we've been told if our definition of spiritual maturity is how much you know and how much you do. So, so these these are great experiences. Take us into um, kind of how you grew. So, I don't I don't know how old you were during these times, but so you you discovered Dallas Willard. Like how how before that, or may, maybe even after, were you kind of growing in knowledge and and kind of service? 
Yeah. You know, it's so much of it is through, to be honest, for me, it's, it's been a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of my growth has come from these moments, like the one I described reading, uh, spirit of the disciplines where I would read something that would, that would impact me really deeply and would, would kind of shift the trajectory of my life. There's a, there's a writer who writes, um, for TV shows and, and movies and stuff. And he, uh, did a TV show that would change courses pretty frequently. He'd have these big shifts in what was happening in the narrative. And he called them sledgehammer episodes <laughs> because it was like he walked up and, and hit the narrative, the line of the narrative with a sledgehammer and adjusted it sharply. And these are moments where I feel like that would happen in yeah. my life. So um, Willard Willard was a part of two of them. One was the one I mentioned. Another was um, when I eventually did read uh, The Divine Conspiracy when he talked about living our lives, not trying to live our lives like Jesus, but to live as Jesus would if mm. he were me. Yeah. Um, that was such a shift in going, wait a minute, that's true. We're all unique individuals. And so I'm uniquely gifted and wired and I have my own personality, whether you're looking at, you know, Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or whatever, I, th there's a unique way that I'm wired. And what does that mean? And what would it be if Jesus, if I was living my life as Jesus would, if he were me, um, you know, I had other moments where there were experiences through pain. Um, I mentioned my, my parents getting divorced when I was really young and that has certainly had an impact through my life. Uh, you know, living, believing that, uh, there's something wrong with me, that there's something in yeah. me that just doesn't measure up and, and carrying that story into every experience that I have and, and having growing in awareness of that and realizing how that story impacts things. Like, I mean, just completely honestly and vulnerably, I'm, I'm sitting here at my kitchen table waiting, you know, waiting for the call from you. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to share oh, that's wow. helpful for yeah. somebody else? Right. Like I don't have any, like there, there's nothing here. And, and so it's going, okay, well let's hold on a second. That's, that's the story that I've been told from early on. And what's the truth? Like if that's the lie, right in the past, I would, what that would mean is I would feel that so deeply that I would be trying throughout this whole conversation to try and impress you. Like, what's the really smart thing to say to impress the people who are listening? But instead I say, well, the, the, the truth is, what do I have to offer? I, I have to offer who it is that God made me to be. Yeah. And, and however that serves people is wonderful. And it's ultimately not about me anyway. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing through, you know, as we have this conversation and in the hearts mm. of the people who may listen to it, it's, it, it's, it's less about me and more about the Holy Spirit. So for me, it's been like so much of my journey has been understanding some of these deep things and, and realizing how they, how this, the narrative of my life has impacted me and then just it's uncovering the lies and learning the truth and holding on to the truth and, and living more and more in the presence of God, practicing the disciplines to ground me more fully in God's presence so that I can recognize the lies when they're surfacing. Yeah. And I then have the strength to hold on to the truth and be reminded of those. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. And thanks for sharing that. Um, I love that. Uh, man. I love everything you just said. So I'm not, <laughs> I, I can opine about all of it, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> Cause that, that's so true. It's all, it's all true. I love that. Have you ever had a time when you felt like God was far away or when we talk about the wall, like have you had a, a wall period when, when Jesus really just felt not even there? Yeah, there, there was a season in my life when, um, yeah, it, it felt like everything was falling apart. I was, um, I was losing my job. I was in the process of being laid off. Uh, my my car was breaking down, like to the and and at that point in my life, I was the final owner of every car that I had ever owned, <laughs> right? Like because they like by the time they would have any kind of major repair needed, it wasn't worth it because it was more than the cost of the car, right? 
Um, and I was losing my place to live. And, uh, and layered throughout that was, uh, my relationship with my dad felt like it was falling apart. And through most of my childhood, so my parents got divorced. I lived with my mom and, uh, it was, I lived with my mom and my sister and I, I never felt like I belonged in that house. I mean, I, I love my mom and I love my sister. So, um, so that, you know, they're wonderful, but just never felt like I belonged in that house. And I felt like my dad in the midst of so much turmoil, I felt like my dad was sort of the harbor in the storm. Like when I spent time with my dad, it was, we would do things like he would drive the long way home when he was taking us home. So he could spend more time with us, you know, yeah. we would stop and do ridiculous things just so that we could stay together a little bit longer. And, uh, and there was this, in this season things, there's a lot that went in and that just kind of around the periphery of the whole, the whole, uh, our whole relationship, but just a number of different influences that were stressful for both of us. And, and it just felt like things were falling apart. And, um, and that was a season where it felt like it was probably the season where I felt the most lost, um, you know, was just completely disconnected, um, in my job felt like, um, I I just didn't know what was coming and felt like, yeah, I mean, you said it felt like God was absent Mm -hmm. and, and just struggled to get through, I mean, struggled to get through a day, right? I mean, it was waking up in the morning, not wanting to get out of bed. Um, you know, I mean, classic, classic case, you know, classic, um, components of depression yeah. in that season. Yeah. Well, so how did, how did you find God again or how did he start to, to bring you out of that? Yeah. I mean, one of the most important things for me was, was having a couple of really key friendships and relationships. Um, one of them ultimately became, uh, one of my best friends. And he, as I was looking for a place to live, he said, I, you know, I've got this tiny one bedroom apartment, but there's this like kind of room off to the side. And would you, would you want to stay there? It would help me save some money. And, um, so moved in with him and, and it was in so many conversations with him and about what God was doing in our lives. And, um, you know, just again, some of the books that we were reading together and it was actually on the back porch of that apartment that I was reading spirit of the disciplines. Um, and so it, there was a, an essential part of community that was in there for me. Um, and just feeling like there was, I started to feel like there was a place that I belonged with a couple of really close friends in that season. Um, and, and it was really, and again, it was there reading the spirit of the disciplines going, wait a minute, there's, there's something deeper here. There's, there's something, there's something more than, um, something more than just doing the right things, going to church and serving and and all of those things, reading my Bible, all the really good stuff, but there's, there's something, there's something more here. And what's interesting is that I then started pulling back to some of the things that I learned when I was in college. And, you know, I, we, I read, um, celebration of discipline by Richard Foster. When I was in college, we did, uh, for one of our courses, I, um, uh, we went, went through the spiritual formation workbook that Renovare put out. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so had these, these experiences of spiritual practices from my college years that were really meaningful then, but you know, it's kind of, that's your coursework. And so it's, you know, um, it impacts you, but not, you know, and to be honest, it probably wasn't strictly because it was coursework. It's probably just, we were talking about the critical journey. I wasn't at a stage to receive those at that time. They were meaningful when I practiced them. So I remember thinking, oh, wow, I love this. This is, this is fantastic. But then it was in this season where you start to go, Oh, and they, they just, they, they begin to open up a new world for you. Yeah. So interesting. So that reminds me of the, the saying, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right? Yeah. Like you, you are, you know, you were exposed to those things, but then you kind of, you know, found more life in them later. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah totally. It's, it's, that's so interesting. I think of all of the things that, that I was told at some point by somebody or read or experienced. And, and then years later you go, Oh, (laughs) imagine if I had understood that 20 years ago. Yes. (laughs) What a different world this would be or life this would be. (laughs) Yeah. Totally agree. All right. I'll have to tell you sometime about the best advice I never took. I'll I'll tell you about that. It's a a good story. That's a good, isn't that, is that a call called a tease? It's totally a tease. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. We'll be back right after this. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. I love that. So, wow. That's, that's really great story. Thank you for, for sharing that. I, cause I think it is true. We find so many things, you know, we're exposed to them, but we're not ready to kind of absorb them and let them become part of who we are in our, in our journey. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's sin or it's uh, hard heartedness or whatever. And sometimes it's just, I don't get it. Right. And I, and yeah. God's not there and yeah. um, he has, to, it takes some time for it to soak in. So, yeah. And it, it, that also changes the way I think that understanding changes the way we interact with people as well and pastor yeah. people. Right. Yes. It's um, so I'm, I'm a couple months away from being formally certified as a spiritual director and cool there are times when you're meeting with somebody and you think, Oh my gosh, if I could just tell you the right thing, but you realize even if you told them in this moment, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't get it. Yeah. Right. Like it's, you, you have to, it, it's really an act of surrender, right? It's allowing yes. people to take the journey that they're on and, and you speak truth and you lovingly guide people and offer things that you feel invited to offer. But it's recognizing that everybody is on their own journey and you can't force somebody, you know, again, the critical journey, you can't take somebody who's in stage one or stage two and you can't start forcing them into stage five. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You have to, sometimes the most loving thing is to allow someone to be in the place that they are. Right. And that goes back to, there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to be there. That's part of it. And, you know, being, I'm not sure how far I'd say I am. I don't want to whatever speculate, but the, the, uh, but just being on the other side of some of my own walls going, okay, it's okay. Like those are good things. Mm-hmm. And it's given me a lot of compassion for some of the people, like some of the theological debates that I see raging sometimes on Facebook. I'm like, okay, that's sure. where we are. I did that in college. We're good. You know, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm not jumping in. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because Facebook is a wonderful place for theological and and political conversations. It's, let's let's just go there. It's perfect for those things. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, it's been an interesting time in the last couple of weeks too. It has. Well, okay. Well, I love that. So, tell us about um, some more more about kind of the spiritual disciplines that are feeding you and that are kind of your favorites. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you the the key one for me, and this has been true for a for a good long time in my life, is the Jesus prayer. Mm. Um, I there was a day, man. I I don't know that I ever realized how influential books have been in my life until this conversation. I'm kind of realizing awesome. that. Right now. <laughs> I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. Right. Um, I I was in a bookstore um, back when bookstores still existed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I would always, I love to go to bookstores and I would just go to a few different sections and just look at the books and see like, is there something interesting that I want to get? And, um, I remember very clearly Jesus saying, or God saying, I, check out the Jesus prayer. Like, I want you to learn about the Jesus prayer. And, um, I had a little experience with it. Somebody taught it to me once a long time ago with a group of people. And I, so I walk over to uh, the spiritual section and and I found a book titled The Jesus Prayer. And so nice. I bought this book that was written by a woman named Frederica Matthews Green. And, um, and, and honestly, that I feel like that book uh, opened up a world for me that has been so profound and meaningful uh, for me since then. So the Jesus prayer is, it's a form of prayer called breath prayer. Yeah. And breath, breath prayer is just simply a, a prayer that you can pray in a very short, it's a one line within one breath. And the idea is this is a prayer that you can pray consistently throughout your day. 
And the Jesus prayer was, it has its roots in Eastern Orthodox, uh, the Eastern Orthodox church. And it's based on the prayer of the publican, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. And, um, some later versions added, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, but the idea behind this prayer in the Eastern church, they call it prayer of the heart. Because the idea is you pray this prayer, you have a set aside time in the morning or in the evening where you would pray it uh, anywhere from 100 to 500 times. Wow. And it would just simply be, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And you pray it reflectively and knowing what you're praying. I mean, it's not just a uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord, you know, you're not just repeating it by rote. Right. And, um, and Theophan the recluse would say, there are three stages of this prayer and I'm going to totally get them wrong. But the first, I think it, I want to say it's the prayer of the mind and you're just, you're naming it and you're just, you're just saying it because you're supposed to say it and you're just going through the repetition. And then the second is, or I think it's the prayer of the mouth. And then the prayer of the mind is when you pray and you actually understand what you're saying and you're engaging in the prayer and you're actually praying, have mercy on me. Mm. And the prayer for mer- the biblical prayer for mercy is actually a prayer for healing. So have mercy on me means, means heal me. So wow. you're actively praying this prayer. And then it moves to the level of the prayer of the heart. And in the prayer of the heart, it is... It is your heart's cry. It is something that you're, you, you are constantly praying. Uh, the Jesus prayer or breath prayer is really an idea. Um, it takes 2 Thessalonians 5.17 seriously when Paul says to pray without ceasing. Yeah. And so you set aside this time to pray the Jesus prayer, and then you continue to pray it throughout the day. You pause in moments and you pray it, and you know something something comes up, uh, you know, a, a, an emotion that, that you know, is conflicting, and you— Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And eventually you find that this prayer becomes almost like a constant soundtrack in the back of your mind. You you realize in moments there were there have been times where I go, Oh my goodness, like in the back of my mind, I am praying this prayer right now and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. And it just continues. And and really what it's done for me, and this is a long explanation of it, I like but really it. what the what that prayer has done is it's it's helped me to be more and more aware of God's presence in my everyday life. And I think, you know, when I think of the spiritual disciplines, we, it's interesting, we, we talk about the disciplines and uh, people have different ideas of what the disciplines are and we you know what specific practices would be considered disciplines. And I think that a spiritual discipline is simply any practice that helps to cultivate communion with the real presence of Christ in our everyday lives. That's it. So I even think of, like I jokingly say, for me, stargazing is a spiritual discipline. Oh, nice. Because I look up at the sky and I look at the stars and I, and, and Psalm eight starts running through my mind. And it's because I look up and I think this universe is gigantic and I'm so tiny. And, and yet, God knows me personally, loves me, has, well, this is easy for me. He's numbered the hairs on my head. I'm bald. But, um, <laughs> but, but I mean, to think that I'm so tiny in comparison to the universe, and yet I'm so valuable to yeah. God. So, so looking at the stars, it's a spiritual discipline for me because it helps to connect me to the presence of God in that moment. Yeah, you know what I love about that is, we often think of spiritual disciplines as something that needs to be hard. Yeah. It has to be difficult to do, like fasting for 40 days or something. Mm-hmm. No, don't do that. I mean, you do it, work up to it. But if that's what God's do calling you God to. if God is inviting you to do that, yes. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to, yeah, pr- precisely. Yeah. But but it can be easy. And so I love that, the way the breath prayer is sort of a thing that you can practice, you can put it in the back of your mind. And then, yeah. you know, the other thing I love about that is we don't often, as evangelicals, have we tell people to read their Bible and pray. We don't really teach people how to pray, how to do that, yeah. how to pray. You know, so pray without ceasing. Oh, all of a sudden, this makes sense. Okay, this is a way I can do that to make myself aware of God's presence with me yeah. right now. Well, and and you said you said something I thought was interesting there that it, we often think of the disciplines as something that has to be hard. And i i have this I have this theory that that we should all theory is probably not the right 
way to refer to this, but um, this idea that we should all have what I call a spiritual disciplines base camp. Oh, yeah. And the idea is because we are all uniquely wired, we will all connect with different disciplines in different ways. So, for example, I know some people, I have a good friend for whom the prayer of the examine has been deeply profound and meaningful. So if you ask him what what prayer is has been the most meaningful for you, he would he would name the examine right away. I love the prayer of the examine. I love to lead people in it as a daily practice. I have really struggled mm. with it. It's really hard for me to do as a daily practice. Yet breath prayer came kind of naturally. The Jesus prayer just it it just felt like it fit with my personality. And I think that there are different categories of disciplines that anyone who's serious about following Jesus needs to have some discipline in these areas. So anyone who's following Jesus needs to have some spiritual practice of community, some spiritual practice of scripture, some spiritual practice of prayer. And I think especially in our culture today, we all have to be practicing Sabbath in some way. And we all need to have some spiritual practice of serving, some way of joining the kingdom work that God is doing in the world. But we're not all going to have the same practice of scripture or prayer or community. For some, the examine is a practice that like I said, fits like a glove. For others, it's breath prayer. For some, Lectio Divina. For others, scripture memorization. And I think we all need to find the practice within those categories that connects with the person that God made us to be, the one that comes naturally. And that becomes like a base camp. And so now we say, okay, these are the practices that I that I engage regularly that help to ground me in God's presence in my everyday life and and just like a base camp if you're climbing Mount Everest it's the place for you now to strike out from and so not strike out in the baseball sense um, right. sorry mourning the Cubs <laughs> um, but um, but to to uh, set out from the base camp maybe is a better yeah <laughs> better yeah. language and. So as God is inviting us into something, as we notice, you know, I've been noticing recently that I'm talking, I'm not talking well of people when they're not around. That's a problem. And maybe God is inviting me into something to, maybe God is inviting me to address that in this season. So I might say, well, silence isn't a practice that connects naturally to me, but maybe in this season, the practice of silence is something I need to engage because God is inviting me to look at how I talk about people when they're not around or practice. I love Dallas Willard would talk about the the practice of not having the last word (laughs) could be something that many of us could practice in this season, right? Um, Nice. So it's, we have this base camp and then we can we can set out from that as God is inviting us into deeper things as we connect with our desires more deeply. Yeah. Well, so that suggests that the practices are not necessarily this established list that people look at, right? Or that yeah. can, can go into a book. There are things that we have to be open to what is God doing? What what is what is the you know, what is the practice that maybe would make would address what I'm doing? the best in my, in my heart. Yeah. Well, and I think because the, the, the disciplines are an essential part of following Jesus, but they're not, the disciplines aren't magic, right? Like the disciplines, we're not for the disciplines don't form us. The Holy spirit forms us. So it's not about the practice itself. And it's certainly helpful to have a list, you know, celebration of discipline has, Oh yeah. Uh, I can't remember how many practices in there. Um, and then I don't know if you're familiar or your listeners are familiar with the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. Oh, yeah. That's um, good. Literally is a list of, is a book of 75 disciplines with just a couple of pages for each one. This book is brilliant. And and honestly, that the the introduction to that book is probably worth the price of the book because Adele talks about listening to our desires. And what is God inviting? Mm. What do you desire in this season of your life? What do you notice 
God is stirring up in you? And how does that lead you into deeper communion with God? And what practices, what disciplines may help you to grow in that area that God is is already working in you and inviting you into in this particular season? Yeah, that is fantastic. Wow, I am really just kind of overwhelmed with all of that. Okay, so you you are actually taking that because I love this. I just it feeds my soul. It makes me feel so excited about the fact that the journey isn't prescribed, right? It's it's yeah. just it's it's we can get into it and we can go where God wants us to go. It's hard. It's hard to pastor that way, right? It's hard to to lead a church that of people who are each on their own individual journeys, if all we're going to do is gather once a week in a big group. So I know you're doing something different with that. So tell us, tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah, we, um, so I, I pastor the practice community. I know you had, uh, Aaron Nequist on, uh, not too long ago. Um, Aaron started this, this community called the practice at, uh, at Willow Creek and, uh, in the Chicagoland area and in the practice, we, um, we don't, we don't form our gathering around a 45 minute teaching. Um, you know, we look at the, the gathering being centered on the presence of Christ being centered, literally centered on uh, the communion table on the Eucharist. So we sit in the round and the, the table is literally in the center of the room. Um, I was talking with somebody the other day and they, they talked about having communion uh, once where they set up uh, two rows of tables where they would take the Eucharist and people were sitting on either side. And he said, the intention was to communicate, I can't see you without looking through the presence of Christ. Oh, like, wow. oh my gosh, that's beautiful. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, you know, and that's unintentional. I shouldn't say unintentionally. We intentionally set up the practice the way we did, but it's, you know, but we have that same experience at the practice as we look across the room. Um, but what, what we're trusting is that when we gather together in this place, we are, we're certainly going to be teaching about something. We're going to be leading you through something, but what we see that time, that hour and a half that we're gathering for, uh, we see that as an opportunity to create an environment for us to connect to the presence of God. We don't have to do anything to get the presence of God to be with us when we gather. God is already there, right? Again, if we yeah. let's look through scripture, is pretty clear that God is already present. God is present in this conversation as we're having it. God is present with the people who are listening right now. Uh, God is present in all spaces, and so what we need to do is get the things that the things that get in the way of communing with God. We gotta we gotta sift through those and set those apart. And so we or set those aside. So we look at our gathering as a place to help people connect to the real presence of God in the moment. And then also to learn the disciplines, the practices that will help us to connect to the presence of God in our everyday lives. And so to me, that's, you know, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the purpose of church and why, what is church supposed to do? What does God, what does God really want us to be doing with, with church? And, and I think that that's it. I think that you can encapsulate everything from outreach and evangelism to serving and joining God's kingdom work. I think all of that fits under the umbrella of creating an environment or hold, here's a better language, is holding a space for a group of people to connect with the real presence of God in our everyday lives and learning how to cultivate that communion with God in our everyday lives. I think everything that the church is supposed to do fits under that category. And I think if, if we looked at church in that way, I think it would change a lot of the things that we do in churches. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, you know, I go back to the the whole idea of what is spiritual maturity, right? So it probably is yeah. being aware of God like that, as mm-hmm. well as, and then there's a, there's a love component that um, is very interesting to me right now. Um, mm. But it's Say not more about that. Well, okay. What I mean is, so I'm a little fascinated by John, 
right? So I've, you know, sometimes people read the gospels and they read each of them and they're drawn to a certain, a certain one, right? Because they, they have different personalities. Um, but I think John is kind of a mystic and uh, I've, mm-hmm. I've always kind of been drawn to him. I don't want to be mystic. I'm more of a contemplative <laughs> than a mystic, but um, I, but if you look at him, you look at him throughout scripture, he's, he, on the one hand, he's like asking Jesus, put me at your right hand, right? Or Jesus calls him the son of thunder, right? Yeah. With his brother. And so he's like, he must, he had, a, he must have been an interesting character and had an interesting personality, maybe even abrasive, right? But by the time he gets to write his letters, you've got this kind of, you know, he's saying little children love each other. You know, mm-hmm. care about, and so you and going back to critical journey, love is sort of the the integration of everything that we've that we've yeah. learned, and I'm finding that fascinating as a definition of spiritual maturity, mm-hmm. especially like you know, I have these thoughts like, okay, I've started listening to the Beatles. I know I'm 50 years behind. It's okay, but <laughs> I I started listening to them, and I'm going, they have a song, "All You Need Is Love." And I'm like, why do people hate these guys? Like, why do Christians <laughs> hate these guys? This is true. This is the definition of. Mm-hmm. The spiritual maturity, I get, you know, whatever they, maybe they were political, whatever. There's a whole lot of the reasons, but wow, that, so you start to find those things out there and I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm a little, I'm a little intrigued. Well, there's a, there's a a story that's told and I'm, I'm probably not going to get this right, but there's a, a story that tradition has told about John and his, his conversations with, with his disciples. And, um, and one of them at one point said, said, John, all you ever talk about is love, love this, love that. All you ever talk about is love. And this, this story from tradition says that John turned to this disciple and said, love, what else is there? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That, that's just, it's amazing. And I think it says a lot for us about, you know, particularly the practices, like are the practices that we are cultivating are are they leading us to that place yeah we there's i I have some friends who lead uh day-long silent retreats and as they send people out to solitude and silence they there's one thing that they always say and they say as you go out into solitude and silence we have no idea what's going to happen right because Stepping into silence, it's really an act of surrender. It's saying, okay. God, I'm not bringing any agendas with us, with me. So whatever you want to do. So, so they would say, we don't know what's going to happen, but there are two things that we know. Number one, God is going to be with you. God will be present. And number two, in some way, God is going to tell you that he loves you. Yeah. And that, and I just, I think about that. I'm like, that's so true. If we get time away with God, if we slow down and if we connect with the presence of Christ and we actually listen, there are two things that we know are true. God is absolutely going to be present with us because we know that God is already present with us. And in some way, God will demonstrate that we are loved more deeply than we can possibly imagine. Amen. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot we could talk about and uh, I would love to hear a lot more, but tell our friends where they can find you and how they can connect with you if they'd like to. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I've been working on and I've been, I've had this out for a little while, but I'm, I'm updating some things right now is I have a website, uh, beingdisciples.com. So I, I mentioned earlier that I think we should stop practicing discipleship and start mm-hmm. being disciple, disciples. So beingdisciples.com. Um, and on the website, I have uh, some resources for uh, practicing specific disciplines. Um, there's some PDFs that you can print out, uh, things that you could take with you. And then what I'm starting to work on now is some audio recordings, just cool. some some guides to guide you through uh, specific practices. So even guiding you through a Lectio or an imaginative prayer experience for that sort of thing. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and, and Twitter and, and all of those places. So yeah. love it. And there's links uh, to all that on being disciples.com. Also, yep. I have a link to your website and every single one of the books that we mentioned here. So it's a long <laughs> list today. <laughs> which I love that. Uh, that's, yeah. it's just fantastic. A lot of these, I think, 
almost all of them, except for maybe the one, uh, the Jesus prayer are in my library to my left. So, um, that is, that is cool. Friends. Well, you have, you have one to add now too. I do. I do. I gotta, I gotta go get that one. Um, (laughs) I'll be on Amazon in just a second. So this is, uh, Anyway, friends, you can go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. That's where the show notes are, and you will find Jason's uh, episode with uh, great some of the quotes that we talk about and links to all the books that we talked about, as well as his website. So, Jason, anything you want to leave us with? Man, I, you know, I would – well, I'll say this. At some point as you were listening, was there a moment that that you noticed something stirring within you? Was there – Um, something that I said or that Eric said, or even just something that you thought of because of something one of us said that you can just sense that the Holy Spirit was stirring something in you. And if that's the case, then I would encourage you to set aside some time. I love Dallas Willard would always say, you you won't find time, you have to make time. So Mm. would you make some time in the next couple of days to sit with whatever it was that was stirring, whatever you were noticing, um, and see what God might be doing in that piece where God is stirring something in you. And then maybe even engage with somebody in community and share with them what, yeah. uh, what it was that you're noticing about yourself, noticing about your, uh, your relationship with God and what God is doing in your life. How's that for a nice, uh, encouragement? That's perfect. The pra- at the practice, we always say, Sunday is not the main event. Our actual lives are the main event. So I think my my deepest desire is, this was such a fun conversation, but my deepest desire in this conversation is that we would hear what God is doing in us in yeah. this season of our lives and just respond to that however we possibly can. Yeah, I'm a big believer. Take, take that, that moment, that stirring, and just take it to the Lord and ask him what he wants to do with it. He'll yeah. answer. He'll be there. He's there. That's what he does. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Jason, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, man. This is a lot of fun. 